Hello everyone, welcome back. We're doing something special today. If you don't already know, February 13th is World Radio Day. And to celebrate that, the Unpill podcast is going to pull some clips of highlights from the season and we're going to share them with you in this one episode. There's some really cool stuff that's happened in this last season. We try to pull some of what we thought was meaningful and impactful and put it all together uh, for you on this special day. You know, we originally started off as a show that was truly just for our customers as a way for us to give back and give them more information. People that were trying to explore their genetics and apply that to their health and longevity, we thought we should support them with more information. But what we've learned now is the information is so valuable that we have hundreds and thousands of people, in fact, coming in from all over the place uh, to learn with us. And we really are honored by that. We thank you for doing that. We thank you for continuing to learn. As you know, this is not a commercial enterprise. We are here simply to educate, and we're thankful that you're all learning with us. We believe that as we move forward and we can bring on bigger and better guests for you, uh, we'll continue this education for you, and we thank you again for staying with us. Let your friends know, let your family know, let everybody know, because education is what we're here for, and we want as many people as possible to find out what's really going on with food, health, wellness, and longevity. The first episode we're going to highlight for you today and show you a clip of was an interview I recently did with Dr. Mindy Pels. And I bring this forward because of all the stuff that we work in, and you've heard me say this several times, female hormone health seems to need the most support. That's that one area where it's constantly broken, it's constantly gray, it's constantly women coming to us crying, truly crying with their problems unresolved and then understanding that it could have been like this if I had only known. I could have been so much better. I didn't have to have this issue. I didn't have to feel this way because genetically things are so understood in black and white. And so we talked to Mindy Pals about her new book, Fast Like a Girl. And here's a clip that dives deep into women's health and some of the things you may learn with her. Why like a girl? Yes. Why, is that, why is that necessary? Yeah, you know, okay, so it's funny, there, there is a little bit of a story behind the title. Um, and then I'll explain why we chose to do um, to write a fasting manual for women. Um, okay. But I, you know, the there, there's this big gap, as you know, like, there's this big gap in healthcare in very specific lifestyle information for women. And I watched this whole movement of fasting appear. And I watched all these amazing fasting books come out. And I kept thinking, surely somebody's going to write one specifically for women because women yeah. need to fast differently. And on my YouTube channel, I was really talking of teaching women how to fast differently of all ages. I was fasting differently. I wasn't just fasting the same way all the time. So I was, I kind of, I created this formula of how women should fast. Um, looking at literally millions of women. This is my fourth book, and I only write books that I feel like if the information's not out there, I need to write it. This is true, unfortunately, in, in everything. Right. Meaning like, you know, we, we talk about something like Alzheimer's and dementia, and 80% of, well, it's like 85, 90% now of the research dollars are spent on men and a very specific cohort of like Western European white males. Right. And then you're wondering why are women suffering so much more? 
Yeah. Because you didn't study that half of the population. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and you're trying to take this and apply it here. And it, it's true for everything, including something as simple as throwing. Yeah. And, and the other thing is that, and this is what I hope this book does, is that we haven't given women the uh, um, opportunity to speak out and say that they are suffering. You know, I when I, when I was in clinical practice for so many years, I heard so many women that came in and they're like, I'm depressed. Um, I can't sleep. Um, I think I might get divorced. I don't know why my brain is thinking like this. I have pain. Like they list off all these symptoms. Um, and they said, I went to my medical doctor's office and I told them this and I left with an antidepressant prescription. And so what I'm hoping, and this is why I love that we are aligning our work together. And I appreciate you really bringing this conversation to the world is we got to at least let women open up and tell us what they're, how they're suffering so that we can step in and we can help them. So what you just described is the thing that took us from we're a research company to we need to help the world and be consumer facing. My niece mm -hmm. had multiple anxiety attacks and the last one, she actually ran away from home. Wow. And when I say run away, she was like a sweet, innocent girl. She was like standing across the street. You know, so but for her, that was running away. Now that's big. She left yeah. the note. We had the, the impact was there. She left her big dramatic note. So and really what we found when we looked at her hormones, you know, there's this the the first sort of few days when your hormones are at their lowest possible. She had this very steep, deep, I should say, trench where she goes into where they're just she's far beyond the typical woman in, in terms of how low the hormones go. Mm. Uh, and so that delta value is much bigger for her. Uh, and so that circadian rhythm looks more like this as opposed to wow. like this, right? Wow. Um, she also has the worst vitamin D response. So her ability wow. to convert D2 into D3, horrible. To transport the D3 to the cell, horrible. The ability to bind it at the cell, horrible. So all three steps of, met metabolic, of that metabolic path, she doesn't do well. And this happened during peak COVID where all these kids were being homeschooled. Oh. And she got zero sun in Toronto winter. Right. And where was she not doing well uh, in her neural pathways was her dopamine uh, oh my gosh. binding really suboptimal. So that's what triggered. It's this anxiety response because hormones are off. And, and when you think about hormones, we kind of put it aside as fertility, PMS, but yeah. hormones are the foundation for potential brain issues, like yes. so many issues. And you, we only mask the here's your depression pill, here's your anxiety pill versus let's reverse engineer this a little bit and get to the root. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, you know, so in that, when I, when I hear you tell that story and it, there's so many women that have stories like that is if you, in, in a normal menstrual cycle, we have these down moments and, and the beginning of the menstrual cycle, when we first start bleeding is a hormonal dip and then coming out, out of ovulation is a hormonal dip. And for a lot of women, it's like the hormones build, 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 they're feeling better. And then boom, it like crashes yeah. them down. And it's very confusing to everybody, but especially to the woman going through it. Second thing that I, I want to say is that estrogen and dopamine and serotonin are intimately connected. So you need estrogen to make dopamine and make serotonin. And so if she already had that genetic profile, plus at that time of her cycle, she's going to feel it even more. Mm -hmm. And then the third part of this, and this is the one that has really got me propelled to write the next book, is that there's evidence, scientific evidence, that if a trauma hits a woman's brain when estrogen is low, that that trauma is going to stick, have a bigger mental impact on her than if it hits her at another point of her cycle when estrogen is higher because right. estrogen is that protective of the brain. 
Super protective, exactly. And these little nuances, and this is actually something that you talk about, but it's like foundational in the book, like fasting to your cycle. That's right. This is a foundational thing of how a woman needs to think about this. How does that work? Yeah. So it, you know, I'll, I'll go through a, a 28, 30 day cycle to kind of see it. I'll, I'll briefly go through it. But then I, what I also, once you understand it, you can eat to your cycle, you can exercise to your cycle, you can socialize to your cycle. So once you get the pattern and then you mix that with what your genes are telling you again, why I'm so excited about your work is that now we have a really complete hormonal picture for a woman to understand how to create a lifestyle that works specifically for her. And uh, so that's huge. Um, here's how it works. Day one through day 10. Day one is the day a woman starts to bleed. You'd believe, you would be shocked at how many women don't know what day one is. Right. Like, like I've taught you, have you had this experience? Like <laughs> I've talked to more women. They're like, what's day one? I'm, I'm like, it's the day you have to use feminine care products. It's the day you're bleeding. Yeah. So that's day one. But from day one to day 10, estrogen is building. So all your hormones are low at day one, and then estrogen starts to climb. And then as you move into ovulation or somewhere between 10, day 10 and day 15, estrogen will hit her peak. Estrogen right. is very, um, estrogen does well with like low carb. Uh, estrogen does well if you want to do extreme workouts. She's very forgiving when it comes to cortisol. You right. can have a lot of stress. You can push yourself in a workout. You can be a rushing woman and estrogen's not going to mind. And that is the front half of your cycle. In, and fasting is, you know, the longer fast you can do it during that time. When we get into ovulation, this is another piece that I feel like a lot of women don't know. Men don't know this is day 10 to day 15. We've got estrogen at our peak and testosterone comes running in. And you women get a, a, a surge of testosterone in a five day period. The yeah. rest of the month, it's pretty low. So if you are married to a woman or you're in a relationship with a woman, you might want to know when her ovulation window is because that's when her libido is going to be the highest because yeah. of testosterone. The other thing testosterone does for us is it's our motivation and drive. So if you want to start a new project as a woman, do it during ovulation because you have the hormonal capabilities to do it. The, that the analogy that I learned years ago that I like is think of estrogen as like the fertilizer for your grass and you put in to make the grass grow. And then the progesterone comes along and mows it. So right. progesterone sort of makes sure that estrogen doesn't get out of control. So during that ovulation window, you have estrogen at its peak, testosterone at its peak, but you have a little bit of progesterone. And if progesterone didn't come in, then estrogen could get out of, out of, out of control. And then your body, the way it uses fat is as storage for things that are excess. So mm. it may, it, your body would just say, hey, we've got too much estrogen here. Let's go ahead and store it in fat. So that, that makes sense based on who we've seen. Because when we, we, when we see what we call phenotypically, here's how the genes represent, uh, the, what we consider to be estrogen dominant and this, it's very, it's coincidental that we're landing on exactly what you described is when the progesterone pathway is low and it's the estrogen pathway is dominant. Uh, and whenever we see co, we call them co-dominant, meaning that you don't have the phenotypic traits of what we call estrogen dominant, meaning the body type. And, and so that it's exactly what you're saying uh, in terms of the genetic map equaling these traits. So, but we never thought about it the way you're saying it. The next clip we're going to bring you is from Dr. Isaac Ilya's really cool episode. 
He wrote the book Survival Paradox. And truly what he's talking about is the survival response of the body. So we are designed to respond. We are designed to be under acute stress and to have to fight through it. But today's chronic ongoing everyday stress is not at all what we're designed for. And he talks about how the reality of taking this human wiring that we have and putting it in today's context is a mismatch. But what can you do about it? Some of the unique things he's found that actually support that and help us. So dive in, listen to this clip uh, and see what we got into here. But there's this whole other side that we as health enthusiasts, biohackers, you know, clinicians don't talk about, which is the fibrosis, the other end of it. You hear about it here and there. And it's a whole other root cause. Uh, and you've dwell, you've you've dug deep into this, you've healed people. There's like stories that could only be described as miracles from what I've heard of, the, of your work. Um, and it's being done globally now. And luckily you've put a book out now so everybody can also learn. Uh, first of all, before we dive into all this stuff, the foundation of this, the work you're doing is rooted in dealing with the Galactic 3. So what is that for the person that's never heard that term before? <clears throat> well, so maybe even taking a step back because you mentioned inflammation. Sure. Uh, my, my book, The Survival Paradox, I finally wrote a book after decades of being asked to write a book. It really reflects a new paradigm in the understanding of health and disease. So as you mentioned, uh, we recognize the driving force of inflammation in aging and in multiple diseases, acute diseases, right? It's what makes an infection turn into sepsis and somebody having organ failure and chronic diseases. But while inflammation is a driving force, it's really not the root cause of anything. Inflammation is a response. Inflammation is the body's response right. to, danger, to a problem. And what drives inflammation is our survival response. So it's really the inappropriate survival response that is the root cause of inflammation in one end, of fibrosis on the other end, and of aging, and and uh, of aging degeneration, and really having a deeper understanding is the key yeah. to opening a deeper door, door to biohacking. Because now you're going deeper, you know. It's really interesting that even in the field of cancer, where I do a lot of work, there was a lot of interest in genomic expression. But genomic expression doesn't mean it's going to be a, pheno a phenotypic expression. Mm -hmm. We have a choice. So when we understand this, it is a, it is a, it, it is a paradox because <clears throat> we are here because we had a survival response. And over multiple generations, we made it. And because the survival response is so innate in us, it's automated. It has mm -hmm. to start in a fraction of a second. We can't control it. And that's exactly what happens through our autonomic, as it's our nervous system, through the sympathetic nervous system. Now, what's amazing is that we now recognize that beyond the initial classical understanding of the sympathetic response, which other response with a fight response, which equates to inflammation, right? If we rub our hands right. strong, we feel heat. Or flight, which equates to running away, to hiding, to isolation, to creating a microenvironment, and to creating fibrosis and dysfunction. 
So these are very basic things, but now we recognize how the sympathetic response drives so many diseases from the gut-brain connection, from neuroinflammation affecting so many Ill illnesses. So we have this unregulated survival response that has a very important nervous system response. But mm. we can be wired and on alert, and then we take a few deep breaths, we meditate, we relax, and slowly, slowly we shift into a parasympathetic response. And all of us can do it on one level or another. But what happened is that there is also a biochemical system that responds. And the biochemical system responds through protein that are called alarming protein. The alarm is on, there is fire. And one of the key proteins that I've been researching for almost 30 years and made the main discovery, discovery is that blocking it will attenuate and stop inflammation and fibrosis is a protein called galactin-3. So galactin-3 is a protein that is excreted as part of a survival response, as part of an injury repair. And it responds by driving inflammation, by driving fibrosis, and by driving immune dysregulation, which are really the hallmarks mm -hmm. of inappropriate aging and the hallmarks of the issues that any biohackers really wants to address. So I understand this bad <laughs> word of inflammation that we assume to be bad. It, it actually is only bad because of our current context, meaning that inflammation is a mechanism of healing and survival, like you said, is the key Absolutely. word. And it's only that we're not now experiencing periodic acute you know, inflammatory insults. It's chronic, everyday, ongoing. That's the difference. The difference exactly. between we have this inflammatory response, which is good for us, which helps us, which we're only supposed to experience one every once every few months when somebody cuts themselves with a knife or drops a rock exactly. on their foot. But now it's everything you deal with is causing inflammation and it's too much. Next, our good friend, Mr. Dave Asprey, the godfather of biohacking the guy that got us all here, he inspired me in the very beginning of what we're doing to take it to everybody like yourself and move away from being a science company in a lab to we can actually truly help people and people are willing to take charge of their own health. So we dive deep into biohacking your genetics with a heavy focus on the mitochondria. It was a really cool episode because every time he opened his mouth, I learned something for the entire hour. And it was really awesome. I think you feel the same. So look at this clip. And let's dive back into what we learned from Dave. The godfather, the guru, the pioneer of biohacking. Uh, in fact, I, that word today, you, you know it because of this man. You know, if you went back five, six years ago, what does that even mean? That would have been the answer. The reason you know what it means is because of Dave's advocacy and saying that, you know, you can take control, you can take charge if you understand how this thing works that we all walk around and there's a lot more going on than what pill do I take, right? And that's been Dave's mission. He's brought it to us. And what we're going to do today is hack to the sort of deepest level we can and try to understand the building block, the cell, where, where does it all start? And, you know, I've, I've listened to Dave speak before the things that he said, mind-blowing us as a biotech company that's studying DNA, you know, what, where, where it all starts and where cellular instruction starts. I'm hearing things from him that I've never heard before from the science team and it's blowing our minds. So we have to share this with you. 
Uh, Dave, first of all, thanks for joining us. It's awesome for you to be here. Cash, I'm always happy to support the work you're doing out there. I'm a big fan of the DNA company and just all the stuff you're working on. So it's my pleasure to be here to help. Thanks, man. That's awesome. So we, you know, when we talk about that, that building block, you know, literally bring it right down to the cell. The thing that we're starting to hear now, I mean, sure, you, you've probably been hearing it or talking about it for years, but to the general public, where it's all about mitochondria, mitochondria, what's going on at the cellular level? We've been doing this for some time in terms of oxidative stress and, you know, what is leading to that inflammatory insult and inflammation being the root cause of disease and clinicians agreeing with that, but then not understanding why does the inflammation happen? They don't dig past, this is the source of the disease, but let's just deal with the disease, right? So you, on the other hand, have gone way, way past that. The onion's been sort of unpeeled right down to the core and you've understand from the cell much more than we've, you know, sort of at the science literature level, what we talk about. What is it at the, about the, at the mitochondrial level that we're not understanding that we haven't talked about yet? What's that new information that everyone needs to need? Think about the definition of biohacking. It's the art and science of changing the environment around you and inside of you so that you have full control of your own biology. And people go, oh wait, you mean there's such a thing as epigenetics, which is flipping the switches on and off in your DNA. Yeah, there is, but you can only flip a switch that is present. And what does the flipping of the switch? Uh, in my first book, which was on fertility that came out in 2011, and it was you know, how my wife and I had two kids uh, above age 40 without IVF, even though she was infertile, before we changed the environment to encourage fertility, um, I wrote about what Bruce Lipton calls a regulatory protein sleeve, which is a, a way of envisioning like a firewall around your DNA that gets read by RNA so you can replicate, uh, uh, make a protein. You can basically follow the instructions that are written in the DNA. The problem we have, though, is what's reading the environment? What's the sensor for the environment around you? It's not your eyes. It's not your brain. It's actually inside the cell. It's the mitochondria. Because mitochondria, most people have heard of these in seventh grade biology. They're the power plant of the cell. But that's kind of nonsense. They are the environmental sensor of the cell. And there's anywhere from a few hundred up to 15,000 mitochondria per cell, depending on whether it's a heart cell or a brain cell, which have tons of these factories in them, or whether it's maybe a skin cell with a couple hundred. But what the mitochondria do is they sense the environment, and then they decide what to do. They can make energy, they can make inflammation, they can make hormones, they can decide to suicide themselves if they're weak, they can decide to make new mitochondria, and they are in charge. They're ancient bacteria that we collaborated with and subsumed two billion years ago in the ocean sometime, but they're still in charge because they see the environment, they decide what to do. And when trillions of cells in your body decide what to do, you get cancer. You get abundantly good health. You get willpower. You get love. You get hate. All of this rolls up from these things. They're an extension of your brain, an extension of you into the world around you. So the connection between mitochondria and inflammation is that if the mitochondria are stressed or they're getting the wrong things or they're weak or they're poisoned or you don't have genes that code for a certain protein that makes mitochondria do something, well, you can account for that by changing your environment. But if you don't know that, your mitochondria are going to go about their business. And over time, they get weaker and weaker, which means the four pillars of aging from my anti-aging book. It means that, sorry, these are the four big killers that keep you from getting old. These would be diabetes, 
cancer, cardiovascular disease, and Alzheimer's. And if you can avoid those four things, which are all mitochondrial conditions, then you can probably live a long time. So it's all connected together and it's all these ancient bacteria, but they're not just power plants, they're sensors. And they're the epigenetic things that, what's it smell like today? What is the system of the world around me? How right. should this meat envelope react? That's what they do. Next, we spoke to Susan Bratton. This was a unique episode for us. It's not in line with what we deal with typically, but I realize how important it is. And it's important because when it comes to what we talked about, your sexual health, it's something that people hide behind and don't want to talk about. And why, this is why we thought it was important to bring Susan on because it's a subject that everybody needs more info on, but nobody wants to ask. And so we brought it forward. Incredible insights into healing from sexual trauma, into having vibrant sexual health into whatever age you want. Susan herself has maintained not only her outward beauty and inner health, but also her sexual health at a high level as she ages. And she teaches everybody how she got there. So one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was something I did called the magic pill method. I, so I've been a sex expert for going on two decades. This is my second career. I was a Silicon Valley executive. Believe it or not, I was on the launch team for the first cable modem. Back before wow. cable modems, there were dial-up modems over phone lines. And then we launched broadband high-speed cable. And uh, so I did that for a long time, but I had this experience in my early 40s with my husband. I'd been married to him for like 11 years. And honestly, okay, true confession, I had two vodka martinis on our anniversary, our <laughs> 11th anniversary. <laughs> and I said, um, things aren't working for us and all our friends are getting divorced and it's not money. I know it's sex. And, you know, I'm kind of avoiding you in the bedroom and it's hasn't been good for me for a long time. What are we going to do? And like early adopter, information junkie, lifetime learner, personal development people, which I know your audience is all like me <laughs> or they wouldn't be listening to you. Um, we said, well, let's, let's figure out why our sex life isn't satisfying to me as the woman and, and why it's so great for you and why it's so shitty for me. <laughs> and um, we started going to therapies therapy and we did personal growth work and we did sex workshops and, and these kinds of things that the minute we started going to sex workshops and learning new skills, it completely changed everything. We began to have great sex. We healed our relationship. It was like a renaissance in our relationship. And we were mm. so enthralled. We said, let's take all our Silicon Valley knowledge and start a tech company. And this was almost 20 years ago start a tech company, taking the things we learned in workshops and bringing them online so that anyone anywhere in the world didn't have to fly to San, San Francisco Bay Area and get naked in a workshop location. And have, <laughs> some people want to do that, Kashif, but some people are a little more modest. You know, it was very edgy to do what we did. And so we wanted to bring these ideas of workshops in a box, if you will, that couples could do together and singles could do to get do themselves to learn 
sexual techniques. So I did that for many years. And then I realized that communication skills were kind of a missing piece. And so I started developing better bedroom communication skills. And then I realized, okay, what happens with people is that, and I'm getting to the magic pill method, how I ended up creating this thing that I want to talk to you about, because there's an interesting anomaly that I think you can <laughs> shed some light on. I think it's genetic. And I realized that the third leg of the stool, if you've got techniques and pleasuring skills and you understand the body and how it works, and, and I want to tell you some things people get really wrong around mm hormones and libido and desire. I think that's going to really resonate with one of your core constituents, which is the woman who's like, my hormones are flatlining. What the yeah. hell is going on? How do I fix this thing? Because I want to talk about that. But the third leg of the school, first leg was technique. Second leg was being able to ask, understand what you want and ask for it in ways that your partner was not triggered by, didn't feel like was rejection or criticism, you know, so you could just have this free flow of easy communication about your sex life. And the third leg of the stool was sexual health and wellness. And this is where I've gotten into sexual biohacking, um, ageless sexuality. I believe that if we're in good health, which is what you're all about, like heads up, here's your, you know, here's your problem areas, keep focus on these things. All disease, the disease starts in the body with lack of something, right? Problems mm -hmm. gone, gone forward. Um, I realized that I, people are designed to have great sex their whole lives, but things go wrong, like atrophy, hormone imbalance, nitric oxide shortages, just simple lack of getting the stimulation that we need to feel pleasure, erectile dysfunction, loss of lubrication, all of these things, um, loss of sensation. First of all, I want to say that the, the number of epiphanies that went off as you were talking, I think, you know, in this little, the few minutes that you've been speaking, you completely re-changed or you completely changed the way that I think about sexual health. And I realized that I was guilty of thinking about it in the way that we tell people not to think about every other problem, which is that it's a siloed problem. And that's how I was thinking about it, which is I have a, you know, ED problem or I have a lubrication problem or whatever. No, it, it's just a, your body screaming to you that underlying there's something else going on. You're not metabolically healthy. You're inflamed. Yeah. There may be fibrosis. There's something going on, yeah. root, root, root cause, which you're now at the age that your body can't fight it anymore. And it's it's translating into a condition. This just happens to be the condition. Could have been something yeah. else, right? Yes. So I'm hearing this from you. Yeah. I feel guilty because this is what we say about everything else. I never thought about this. <laughs> You're so cute. I'll, I'll absolve yeah. you of your guilt officially. You are absolved. <laughs> <laughs> this is why we're here. Other, this is why we're together today, living and learning together. <laughs> for sure. It is honestly just opened my eyes. And that that the whole, like every great functional medicine story, like root cause healing starts with somebody who had a problem that needed to fix it. Yeah. And it, it's always that like, I, there was no solution. So I had to go find it and create it. And now I'm teaching others because it was so impactful for me that it, I'm not no longer implementing. I'm advocating. I need to change everybody around me. And that's what you've been through, which is awesome. So yeah. people now have access to this. And thank you for dropping the free training. That's amazing.
If you want to keep diving deeper with your prescription for life with the Unpilled Podcast, make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. I've also written my first book, The DNA Way, Unlock the Secrets of Your Genes to Reverse Disease, Slow Aging, and Achieve Optimal Wellness. It's now available for pre-sale on Amazon. Take a look and enjoy, guys. So one question I always get is, What's that one thing that I need to focus on, that one thing that I need to understand out of all we talk about? And my response is always the same. This one thing that you're probably not aware of, but is probably causing most of your problems, is your environmental health. The things around you that you're breathing, that your body's absorbing, that you need to detoxify and cleanse, that you're not genetically capable of doing so because our ancestors didn't have this threat, weren't used to this level of toxic impact. And so we brought on Dr. Jill Carnahan, who has a heavy focus in this area, has been helping people understand their environmental health and detox pathways for some time. And we blended our genetic insights with her clinical insights, and it turned out to be a beautiful set of information. So watch this clip. Everyone has said, yeah, work on your toxins, work on your environmental load, open up that channel to get rid of toxins, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But we haven't dove deep. So we're going to do that today. To start, what is even a toxin like what should people for the very basics the abcs what does it even mean yeah so um i love talking about this topic because people more and more just don't feel well they're like i don't think i'm aging you know they give we give all kinds of excuses and i don't believe in just the aging excuses i don't feel well i wake up more achy and my brain is not as clear so this is one of those things that I call the elephant in the room, which is the thing that is really suppressing our immunity and changing our world. And for many reasons that we can dive into. Mm. So toxins are everywhere. Um, they're in the air that we breathe. They're in the water that we drink. They're in the food that we consume. And they're all over in our environment. And we should have, I don't want to make this a doomsday talk because the truth is our bodies have the capacity to detoxify. We are created and made to do that. We are good mm-hmm. organ. Like that's our, one of our main functions is how do we, you know, not accumulate these kinds of things that are harmful. Um, so the good news is if we give ourselves the right nutrients and the right tools and the right things, which we'll talk about, um, we have everything we need to live in a world that is a little bit toxic things that are toxins that you may not think about our water supply often contaminated with things like arsenic or runoff uh, pesticides, herbicides Mm. um, from farm Uh, super common glyphosate is being used everywhere. And so even now they're finding trace glyphosate or roundup in organic wines in California. Oh, wow. it's everywhere, even in, you know, it's, it's getting, cause you can't, if someone's spraying a crop, you can't like have a line in the air where yeah. there's no spray on the organic field and there's spray. So there's play, way, ways and places that these uh, are everywhere. The other thing that's happening is we manufacture goods and services and new products. We have all kinds of new innovative ways to do things, but what's happening as well is literally thousands um, of chemicals exponentially are increasing um, and being approved for use each year. And a lot of these have no safety data, number one, in synergy with other chemicals, and number two, by themselves in human safety. So we feel like the Environmental Protection Agency is there to protect us, and they are, but they're not testing each of these chemicals on humans for decades before they're released. So there's a lot of new things in our environment. Even, for example, BPA we know is harmful. So now there's new types of BPAs that they say are better, but I'm not convinced that the newer BPAs are any less dangerous. So we have things like phthalates that are in perfumes and lotions and creams and things we put on our bodies. We have things like parabens that are the same thing, shampoos, conditioners, things like that. Um, we have things like, um, 
um, uh, organophosphates, pesticides, things in our food supply that are used on farming um, and glyphosate. We have things like heavy metals. And now with the wildfires all out west, I'm in uh, Colorado where it's a huge area, California. Um, a lot of these places are experiencing more wildfires and more climate change than mm. ever before. And in the smoke from the wildfires, we just had a massive fire in my community at the end of the year. And um, what I realized through that was the toxins in the air quality was just as bad as a toxic mold exposure. And I saw the labs of patients change just with the smoke in the air. Mm. So it's everywhere. And as like the trees are burning, there's um, residues from metals and things. So we're getting, and then if you think about houses nowadays, the back porches are made of plastic types of materials. So this stuff is burning when, when things are burning and creating air quality issues as well. Um, as you know, the, the, all of these things accumulate, our systems just get overloaded. So that's just a small glimpse snapshot. There's um, many, many other kinds of things in our environment yeah. and it's exponentially increasing. And what you said makes so much sense because a lot of people, you know, you'll see social media comments online or replies to videos and people will say, oh, you guys are quacks. This stuff is safe. Right. And why they say it's safe is because the people that rely on to vet it for them, tell them this is not necessarily that go eat this. It's safe, yeah. but there's no red flag. So from our perspective, genetics is one half of personalization and the other half is your gut. You have to understand these two things to be able to predict, prevent, and reverse chronic disease. We truly believe that when these two things meld and they're fully understood, that chronic disease becomes completely optional, does not need to happen because we're getting to the root. So we brought on a pro, Kieran Krishnan, who runs Gut Microbiome Labs and has built some amazing products, but along that way uh, has learned so much. Uh, all the questions that we've needed answering, he's been able to answer. So take a listen to this clip here. We've always believed that the gut is the sort of second half of personalization. We deal with genetics. We understand here's the human blueprint. Yeah. Here's foundationally how you're wired. So I can, without meeting a person, understand where they're suboptimal, where they need support, how they behave, how they feel. It's all wired. All those chemical reactions are all driven by genes. But that is kind of like this human that's wrapped around this gut mm -hmm. where there's a, there's a whole other system, you yeah. know, uh, firing and doing its own thing. There's a lot of companies today that are trying to decode that. Yeah. And it seems like you kind of skipped a step and said, well, even once you figure it out, people still need to know, what do I do about it? Totally. Right. Yeah. So yeah. we can decode every one of the trillions or billions of bacteria strains. But if you're not, if there's no product in the end, you've got information, but no action item, which is awesome in terms of what you did. So how important do you think it is to understand, you know, and, and sequence and put AI to the actual gut microbiome versus the solutions that work? I think if we went with that, with the AI machine learning data science approach first, it would be years before we had anything that had any positive impact on people, right? right. Because that that is a abyss that you can just go deeper and deeper and deeper in. Yeah. And there's a massive translational gap there, yeah. right? So like between what you discover and how do you make that a practical solution, there's a massive gap. Mm -hmm. That's actually one of the things that, that uh, I am and, and a big group of us are working on right now at Novozymes, which, which is our new parent company, mm -hmm. they have a massive investment in data science and they've acquired a couple of companies in that space. And, and we are having regular meetings on how do you use 
the insane amount of technology and data that's available in data science and, and then how do you make that relevant to people? How do you make right. it a product that changes lives, right? And we are far away from that. And so fortunately, what we were able to do in the interim was figure out some basic things that we need to change and improve in our microbiome that can be done with the right probiotic strains, the right prebiotics, the right polyphenols. And, and a lot of that is just taking clues from nature, right? Mm -hmm. you know, how, we sub, how we subsisted throughout the course of human evolution. What were the things we consumed to build this microbiome, mm -hmm. right? What, were the, what are we finding out from the hunter-gatherer types that exist today when you compare them to the modern uh, you know, mm -hmm. industrialized human, right? When you look at those gaps, that's where you start to find the magic in the simple things you can do to start bringing back our microbiome more towards its natural state. And in the meantime, sure, let's dig deep into and dive into the whole, you know, massive data science and, and see if we can get AI to make some sense of all that. But we have to do something now too. So when you look at these seemingly unrelated conditions that present very differently, diabetes, autoimmune disease, maybe it's on the skin, and then reflux, right? They seem completely unrelated, although intuitively and based on, on uh, research, we know that the microbiome plays a role in each of those. But the big question is, what is wrong with each of those microbiomes and how do you go about fixing it? So that was the big conundrum that we had. And we started digging into the research and mapping everything out and just kind of putting all the science together. And what we've come to find out, which is actually a bit of a relief, is that the dysfunction in the diabetes gut is exactly the same as the dysfunction in the reflux gut, and it's mm -hmm. exactly the same as the dysfunction in the autoimmune gut, right? Mm -hmm. Even though those conditions are seemingly unrelated because they present so differently, the underlying factors in a dysfunctional microbiome that allows for those conditions to flourish is exactly the same, right? Mm -hmm. All three of those conditions have low diversity in the microbiome, which pr provides the risk factor for developing those conditions. All three of those microbiomes have low levels of keystone species like Acromantia, like Fecalum bacteria, like Bifidolongum. All three of those microbiomes have uh, low levels of short chain fatty acid production and other postbiotics. All three of those microbiomes also have intestinal permeability, mm -hmm. right? So they have high levels of LPS and other endotoxins in circulation. And the studies on the pathologies and the pathophysiologies are all there, right? If you look at the pathophysiology of the reflux, uh, of reflux disease, you'll find it's the same exact dysfunctions that lead to it as diabetes, as depression, as anxiety, as Alzheimer's, right? So that was very revealing to us. And we mm -hmm. found that there are certain universal truths within a healthy microbiome that we all need, right? So we all need to deal with intestinal barrier dysfunction. We all need improvements in uh, diversity. We all need more keystone species. We all need more uh, postbiotics like short chain fatty acids. So then that became foundational for us, right? Now you can do a microbiome analysis, like we have one called BiomeFX, right? Which is a whole genome sequencing analysis that really looks at functional aspects of the microbiome. So we, we've changed it up a little bit than what is typically out there, but that's really to get a, to, to get an even deeper look as to some of the dietary and lifestyle and other things that you would want to mm -hmm. tweak or some additional supplementation that you might want to add beyond the foundational. And yeah. to us, the foundational is foundational, right? Everybody needs that. And the uh, foundational is kind of where the majority of the impact is. 
Meaning that 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 delta value between let's fix what everybody needs or that personalization of let's scan my gut, which is maybe five or ten percent of that that personalization difference, right? Versus the eighty percent. So it it it's, it kind of speaks to what we've been sort of screaming from the rooftops that yeah. your gut is it's it's that half a personalization where we know that it is a load on the system, but yeah. what disease is going to express? We, we believe that it's been looked at wrong, meaning you're not going to sequence the gut and then figure out this bacteria is this disease, this bacteria is this disease. Right. It's more it's more like this is a hub and yeah. reason for why the body is metabolically unhealthy. Now, genetically, we can figure out where are you suboptimal and we know what disease is going to happen, right? Mm -hmm. If you have poor cellular structure in the endothelial, well, you're probably going to have a cholesterol problem and heart disease. You know, mm -hmm. if you're estrogen dominant and you're already having an estrogen toxic load on your system, you may end up with ovarian cancer or breast cancer. You know, it's kind of pairing. And like you said, taking a more functional approach um, and that big data, I think the impact versus what you've already done, yeah. which you can then pair to genetics and understand where are you, you know, not doing well, you could predict what disease is coming. So right? and you, and yeah. you can prevent. So the bulk of the work is already done. So the good news is that people can take action right away. They don't need to wait for the big data solutions. Okay. So I hope you enjoyed those clips as we celebrate World Radio Day on February 13th. Tried to show you a little bit of what we did in this past season and how there's so much to learn. Dive into the full episodes and get all of the details and continue your health journey and your longevity journey and extending your health span deep into your 90s, into your 100s. You can get there if you do everything right. As we move forward, we have a number of episodes coming for the rest of the season. We're going to be diving into autism. We're going to be diving into other big areas where there's been a lot of questions where people need answers. And as we move into season three this fall, there's going to be a heavy focus on female health. Uh, we're going to be talking about reinterpreting all of these things for very specific female health problems because we feel that's an area that needs a lot of support. So we look forward to having you join us along that journey and continuing to learn as we continue to put episodes out there. Thank you.